Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for that. Appreciate that. We could give an invitation right now. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the wonderful thing about the gospel is that if you've never come broken to be mended and, and guilty to be healed and, and desperate to be rescued, you can do that today. Amen. Thank you. You, you, you could be saved today. You, you can have peace with God today if you've never had that before in your life. And that's, that's an amazing truth. Thank you so much for that, gentlemen. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9 this morning. Mark chapter 9, as I mentioned, you can follow along on your handout, on your, uh, in your bulletin rather. Mark chapter 9. Certainly appreciate the opportunity to bring the Word of God to you this morning. It's not ever something I want to take for granted, so appreciate it very much. Thanks for coming this morning, even though you had no idea Pastor Marshall wasn't going to be here. So, <laughs> You know, if you listen to um, sports talk radio or podcasts, I and mean, now it's pretty much podcast, I don't know, some, of you, some people probably listen to sports radio on your way to work. I used to do that when I worked in Charlotte. I would listen to sports talk radio uh, 790 or something like that every day on my way into work. And uh, I'm not saying you should be doing that, okay? Uh, I'm not, <laughs> it might not be good for your health. Uh, your cardio health may not, may, not, it may not be a good thing. But if you listen to any kind of sports talk at all, uh, or listen to podcasts, really about any sports, uh, and, and I'm not, you know, it could be whatever sport you happen to follow, basketball, football, soccer, um, I don't know, uh, golf, you know, uh, whatever it is that you happen to like and enjoy, at some point, there's going to be a conversation uh, among those sportscasters or the, the talk show hosts or whatever. They are going to have a conversation about the GOAT. Okay, do you guys know what I'm talking about when I say the GOAT? Okay, there, I, I think I've mentioned this probably before. I mean, the, the, the greatest of all time, right? So the, the, the classic debate, uh, of course, is, is basketball, right? Who is the greatest basketball player to ever live. And, and, and we, we, you can debate about that among yourselves. I really don't care. But, but it's, it's, it's something that, you know, you, you might think about, you know, um, and, 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 and it, it makes a lot of content, right? It makes a lot of content on these, on these shows and these talk shows and podcasts. Um, you know, the debate rages on, and, and there's probably never going to be an agreement on really that in, in, in any sport, okay? Who, who's the greatest golfer to ever live? Or who's the greatest, you know, whatever. Um, and, you know, we all want to be great, we all want to be the best of the best. Um, we don't presume ourselves probably to be the best at any particular sport. I'm guessing, I'm guessing nobody in this room at least. Uh, I know myself. I, I don't assume myself to be the best at any sport, that's for sure. Um, you know, but we probably think of ourselves as being pretty great, right? If we're honest with ourselves. You know, I, I mean, we like ourselves a little bit. Um, we all, at the very least, we're all seeking greatness, we all want to be great. We all desire to be great, whatever that, whatever that means. We, we want to be the best of the best. And, and the reality is that while we all desire to be great, we are often seeking the wrong kind of greatness. What kind of greatness does our world seek today? I mean, think about that for a moment. What, I mean, by our world standards, what is greatness? What, what does it mean to be the best of the best in our world today? What is great? 
I think power, authority, being the big man in the, in the, in the corner office, having the, the, the prestige, money, fame, influence. I mean, that is what our world today values. That is what our world today, if, if we're paying attention, and even if we're not, frankly, that is what they are telling us is greatness. But ironically, these things are effectively the, the, the exact opposite, actually, of how Jesus defines greatness. How, how, how does Jesus define greatness? What does Jesus say it takes to be the best of the best, to be truly great? It's not what the world says. I'm going to look here. We, we read it earlier, but I want to, I want to start back in chapter, chapter 9, verse 30. And, and this kind of leads into where we're heading today. The main part of our text really starts in, chap- in verse 33, but I didn't want to exclude this because I think it, it, it's, it's kind of the introduction almost to what we have following in verses 30, to thir- 30 through 32. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men. This is the second of three times in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is going to tell his disciples, Hey, I am about to be killed. He's predicting his own passion here. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they, the third day, but they did not understand this saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time this morning. Our Father, we do pray that you would meet with us in this short time that we have. God, I pray that your word would go forth, that it would not be my words, that you would, I would say nothing that you, your word doesn't say that you wouldn't have for me to say this morning. God, give us hearts that would understand your word. Lord, give us hearts that desire to serve you for the right reasons. God, I pray that each of us would be challenged this morning in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in our introduction, Jesus predicts his death and resurrection in verses 30 through 32. And again, this is the second of three times that Jesus does this. And and we're not going to look at it. You can turn if you'd like. Back in chapter 8, verse 31, he does the same thing. If you look in chapter 8, verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Now, this is the first time this has been introduced. I mean, the disciples had no no prior knowledge of this in the the Gospel of Mark. This is the first time that Jesus predicts his passion. And how does, how, how, what, what do we find immediately after that? If you look in chapter 8, verse 32 and following, what happens immediately after Jesus' first passion prediction? You have Peter. He spoke this word openly, verse 32. Then Peter take him, t- took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> okay? So, so Jesus says, hey guys, listen, by the way, um, there's, there's something big coming, and it, it's, it's a really big deal. I am going to die. I am going to be killed, and after three days, I'm going to rise again. And Peter says, oh, no, you're not. Okay, Peter doesn't, doesn't get it. Then in, the, in our passage this morning, this is the second time that this has happened. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because every time that Jesus does this, every time that there is a passion prediction that Jesus brings up the fact that he is about, I mean, very soon he will be killed. He is going to, after three days, rise again. The disciples follow, and there's something that happens with the disciples immediately after that that very, very much evidences that they had no idea what was going on. 
that they still, they just, they didn't understand, that they were not understanding what Jesus was saying. Here in our passage today in chapter 9, the disciples are immediately arguing about what? We read it earlier. Who's the greatest? (laughs) Jesus says, Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed, and after three days, I'm going to rise again. And, and, and right after that, the disciples are walking along the way, and they're talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, or in the kingdom of God, rather, the kingdom that, that, that they believe that Jesus is about to set up here on the earth, mistakenly. And then the third prediction, uh, just the, in the following chapter, in chapter 10, verse uh, 33 and 34, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. They will condemn him to death. They will mock him, verse 34, scourge him, spit on him, and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. And immediately following that, we have the passage that we read this morning, where the, James, where the sons of thunder, James and John, right, aptly named James and John, the sons of thunder, are arguing. They ask about who, who if Jesus, hey, Jesus, uh, we, we want to ask you something, and I love the way they do this, okay? They say, Jesus, we're going to ask you something, and, and, and uh, your kids probably have done this. And when, when, when we ask you, can you say yes? Have your kids ever done that? We're going to, I'm going to, I'm about to ask you a question, dad, okay? And I really want you to say yes. James and John, that's what they do. They come to Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, we've got a, we've got a really important question for you, and, and we really want you to say yes. And, and, and they say, can we, can we sit on your left hand and on your right? And how does Jesus, I mean, they're, they're arguing about this, this silliness, about really, again, who's the greatest? This is how the disciples respond. So, so just take note of all that this morning. As we think about this text, this is immediately following the second of three in the Gospel of Mark, passion predictions that Jesus gives to his disciples. And on, on the heels of every single one, the disciples very well demonstrate that they have yet to fully understand what Jesus is saying. They are still talking about, trying to figure out who's the greatest. Who, 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 I mean, who is the best of the best among us? These, three, these 12 guys, okay, we want to know, Jesus, who's the greatest? They're still seeking that. First, Jesus shows us that greatness comes through serving the lowly. Look at verse 34 excuse me, verse, uh, yes, verse 34. Then when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, who, he said to them, uh, hold on, I'm in, I'm in chapter 8, I apologize. Uh, okay, verse 33. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the way? They asked the question, who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? There it is. Who's the greatest? They had, just, they, had just, they had talked about these things, obviously, along the way. Jesus had heard them having this conversation, or he just knew that that is what they were talking about. Uh, but he says, when they, when they came to Capernaum, now Capernaum, we, I've mentioned before, is kind of Jesus' home base, right? Peter lived in Capernaum. Very likely, it says, when they came into the house, verse 33, he asked them, what did you dispute among, among yourselves along the way? Very likely, they were probably coming into Peter's house, okay, in, in, in Capernaum. Again, this was kind of their, their home base area. Um, I wanted to mention from the outset, I've already, already my PowerPoint got messed up, so I've already given you several of your blanks there. But uh, sorry about that. But I wanted to mention from the outset here, 
as we talk about this greatness coming through serving the lowly, one of the commentators I read uh, mentioned that the validity of this section, of whether this was actually part of the original, is debated among scholars. I wanted to mention why. Some have stated that this could not possibly be in the original text. I'm going to talk about this stuff very often, but, but I think it's interesting, the reason. Um, and he said, I'll just read the note that he said. He said that some commentators have labeled the account artificial, Again, this account of the disciples arguing about who was the greatest. Some commentators have labeled the account artificial because of the improbability of grown men arguing about who was the greatest. (laughs) Now, why are you laughing? (laughs) Folks, this is serious business, okay? I don't know who these commentators are, but I can assure you they have not spent a lot of time with grown men. I really, I just, I saw that. I literally read that, and I thought, I, I just, I'm just sitting in my office, just laughing. I mean, I had to tell Pastor Mark, I had to tell Pastor Eric. I was like, this, this is great. You have got to see this, okay? Um, no, okay. Th- there's nothing artificial about this at all. There is no doubt that these men were arguing about who's the greatest, okay? Um, in our world today, certainly in the, I mean, power, prestige, status, and authority, really big deal, okay? Everybody wanted to be at the top. Everybody wants to be important. Everybody wants to be the greatest. And they're asking this question, and I love this. Jesus, they come into the house. They sit down, again, probably Peter's house. And Jesus says, hey, hey guys, what were you, what were you talking about? What, what was going on back there? What were you guys discussing as we were walking along the way? You know, traditionally, of course, the master, the rabbi, the teacher, he would have walked out in front of everybody else, right? He would have been out, he would have been up front and nobody would have dared to walk up, like even maybe even like right next to him. Definitely they would have been like set back from him a little bit. And, and Jesus would have probably heard them and what they were discussing. And, and how do they respond when he asks them? Nothing. Okay, you know, you know, and again, I think all of us have had this, this experience with our children, right? Hey, what are you guys doing? What's going on? How, how, you've said this, right? What's going on up there? You hear banging, you hear noises that you know probably you shouldn't be hearing, or what's going on down there, you know? Jesus says, hey guys, what were you talking about? What's, what's going on? And they're like, oh, yeah, I don't know, yeah. And of course, Jesus knows He knew exactly what they were talking about. He knew exactly what they were discussing. And we know that not only because he is God, but also because of what he says to them right after this. He knew, of course, that they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. He sat down, he called them, and he said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all. The question, who is the greatest? The answer is, the humble servant is the greatest. The humble servant is the greatest. And, and, and as usual, Jesus takes what is a cultural norm that, that, you know, I mean, servants were lowly, children, lowly, okay? I mean, not, not given any position, power at all within society. And Jesus takes that cultural norm and he flips it on its head. Within Jewish culture at, the, at this time, those children, those servants would have been regarded as low life, Nobody cared about them. And Jesus says, the first will be last. And if you want to be great, you need to be a servant. You need to serve. This would have been culturally revolutionary. It's hard for us in our, you know, in our mindset, you know, as churchy people, you know, we've heard this kind of thing for a long time. We've always, yes, first will be last. Sir, you know, the greatest is a servant. But, But this would have been revolutionary. This would have been completely counter cultural. 
It's interesting that Jesus in this passage and others like it, he doesn't discourage necessarily from seeking to be great. Okay, we, we, we should desire to be great by God's standards, by God's definition of greatness, but he does completely reverse the idea of what greatness is. He says that true greatness is only found in serving others, and he illustrates this with a child. Some have said this might be Peter's child, but look at verse 36. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not, not, not just me, basically, not only me would be a better rendering of that, but him who sent me. So Jesus says, if you receive this child, uh, and it's interesting to note that the, the Aramaic word, very likely Jesus would have been speaking in Aramaic, the Aramaic word that, Je- that, that is for servant is also interchangeable for child. So Jesus takes this child, and he sets him in the midst, and, and he says, if you receive this child, then you receive me. And if you receive me, you receive him who sent me. And so hopefully the, ask, the, the question that you are asking is, what does this mean? What does it mean to, I mean, how, I, I want to be a servant, right? Hopefully that's what you're saying. I want to be a servant. I want to serve God. I want, I want to be truly great by God's standard, by God's definition of what greatness is. I want to be great. And so how, how do I do that? How do I receive this child? If, 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 if I'm receiving this child and, and in receiving a child or a servant, I'm receiving God, this, the, receiving the, the lowly, we'll just say. I'm receiving this child, I'm receiving Jesus, and in receiving Jesus, I'm actually serving the Father. So, so in, in serving this child, I'm actually, in re- receiving this child, I'm actually receiving the Father. That's what Jesus is saying. One is equal to this, one, that's equal to this. What does it mean to receive? Hopefully that's the question that you're asking. And I'm really glad you asked. The word Jesus uses here means to be concerned about, to care for, and to show kindness to. To be concerned about the lowly. About the child's children. About the servants. And Jesus says that if you are concerned and you care about the least of these, the lowest of the low, that actually you are caring and being concerned for God the Father. I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 25 for just a moment. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus talks about this same idea Verse 31, Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides His sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. And the King will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I, w- I was hungry. Listen to this. Okay, this, this is the relevant part to what we're talking about here this morning in, Ma- in Mark chapter 9. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him. Listen to this. Pay attention here. The righteous are going to answer God and say, now, now hold on a second. I don't remember doing that. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of the, the least, the servants, the children, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to who? To me. Isn't that exactly in agree? I mean, isn't that exactly what Jesus is saying here in Mark chapter nine? He's saying, if you serve the what I mean, whatever that is for you, the lowest of the low, the low lives, the the the, the, the people that nobody else wants to serve. He says, if you serve them, you're, you're serving me, Jesus says. And Jesus says, if you're serving me, you're not just serving me. You're serving the Father. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see, do you see how one equals the other equals the other? Servanthood is, is illustrated by, by this child, not necessarily by saying to, to, to become like this child, but to receive that child. When you serve the least of these, my, the, the children, the poor, the orphans, whoever it is that society tells you is unimportant, then you are not just serving them, you are serving the Father. So true greatness comes through serving the lowly, but we'll also see that true greatness comes through serving, it, it matters how you do it, serving in the name of Christ. Look at verse, verse 38 with me. Now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he does not follow us. So John gives this account here of the, what we're just going to call, what, it's not original to me, but the independent exorcist, okay? The, the guy who's going around casting out demons in the name of Jesus, but he's not necessarily affiliated with the disciples, He's not one of the 12 disciples. And John, uh, John comes to Jesus. Now, again, keep in mind what we just read. In the, in the passage that we just read and what we just talked about, greatness coming through serving the lowly, Jesus has described the fact that, that if you want to be great, and the disciples have been arguing about who was the greatest, and Jesus says, no, if you want to be great, you, you, you need to serve the lowly. Be, be, serve this child. But now John, who, who nowhere else in the book of Mark, this is the only place that we actually have the words of John. It's very interesting. Uh, in the entire gospel of Mark. And very rarely do we have any interaction, any, any actual words of John. But in all the book of Mark, this is it. But John follows this discussion up of Jesus saying, hey, this, this child, you need to serve this child. John says, well, I, I hear you. Okay, it's almost like he's saying, listen, Jesus, I, I hear what you're saying, but you got to hear what I did. Okay, you got to hear, listen, there was this guy, okay, and, and he was casting out demons, and yeah, he was doing it in your name, but, but he's not one of us, okay? And notice what he says. I'm so sorry about that. Notice what he says. He says, teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in, in your name, because he be, and, and we forbade him 
because he does not follow us. What does he mean? He's not really part of our, like, our club, right? He's, he's, not, he's not one of us. He, 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 yeah, I mean, he, he was doing it in Jesus' name, but, I mean, I didn't know him. So I told him, hey, you better stop it. Now, what's the irony of this? Just a few verses before, do you remember what the disciples had had a hard time doing? While Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration with the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, the other nine disciples are on the ground, and, and, and there's this guy with his son, and he's, he, he's, he has uh, seizures, and he's possessed by a demon. And the other nine disciples that are on the ground, while Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, Jesus comes down, and, and they're arguing. And Jesus says, hey, what are you arguing about? Seems like a common theme. And, and Jesus, and they said, well, this guy, he, he has a son, and, and he, we tried to cast him out, but, but we couldn't. Now, now think about that for a second, okay? Here's John. He's rebuking. I mean, only a few verses before, the disciples had been unable to cast out a demon because they lacked faith. And Jesus said, this, this kind only comes out through prayer. And, and, and now John is rebuking this guy because he is, even though he is successfully casting out demons, uh, he's not doing it in, in, in the right way, you know, or, or exactly the way that I think you should be doing it. There's a lot of application there. Um, you know, the, 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 the brothers, James and John, were aptly given the name Sons of Thunder, right? We don't, I, I think we think James may be more that way, but we don't often see John quite in that light. But man, I mean, this, these are the same guys, James and John, who, who asked Jesus in Luke chapter 9 if they could call down fire from heaven on the Samaritans. You remember that? Same guys. Um, you know, what do you think John is, is, is thinking here? John's thinking, again, this is following a discussion of, of who's the greatest. And it seems like John is kind of saying, hey, listen, you know, I, I know what you're saying, but, but man, I did something pretty great. You got, Jesus, you've got to hear about what I did. And how do you think John expected Jesus to respond? Probably, probably not the way he did. Jesus, look, at, look, and Jesus corrects John in verse 39. Jesus said, do not forbid him. And I mean, can you imagine John? Think about John. Said, wait, wait, what? Don't, don't forbid him. I thought I was doing a good thing. He says, don't forbid him. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of cold water, a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. John thinks he's doing something great. But actually, Jesus isn't really very happy with how John handles it. And I can, I can kind of ex, uh, relate to John a little bit here. I'm sure all of you have probably had this experience at some point, right? Um, I, I've had this type of experience multiple times with, uh, I'll just say, either a current or former boss, uh, employer. And they may or may not be watching, so I'm not going to mention who they are. But, uh, you know, you, you work with somebody for a few years, and you think, you know, okay, I, I know this. I, I, like, I, I kind of know... Okay, I know, I know what, he's, what he or she is going to want, you know, or what he or she is going to expect. And, 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 and you, you, a problem comes up, issue, whatever. 
And you say, okay, well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to put my big boy pants on. I'm going to handle this myself. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I know my boss would want for me to do. And then I'm going to go march in there and tell him about it and tell him how great I was and how I did exactly what he or she would want for me to do. And, and just along the time you start thinking that that's going to be the case, uh, sometimes that's not the case, <laughs> okay? And, and, and I got to tell you that I've gotten to the point, uh, or I eventually got to the point, at some point in the far distant past, that, that I would almost anticipate the opposite of what I assume is going to be the, the right thing right? That I, I, I'm, I'm probably thinking the wrong way, so I'm probably, I should probably do the opposite of what I think I, I should do. And, and I, I, I'm just saying that, that I think John in this situation, I can, I can sympathize with him a little bit. And I'm sure all of you have been in that place at, at, at different times where you, we, you think, oh yeah, I'm going to handle this the right way. I'm going to do exactly what I know I'm supposed to do. I'm going to rebuke this guy. I'm going to say, hey, you're not part of our club. You're not supposed to be casting out demons in Jesus' name. And he comes to Jesus and says, listen, what I did. So, see, Jesus, I mean, that's great. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You got it all wrong, John. Jesus tells John, he says, don't, don't rebuke him for several reasons. Number one, he will not be able to speak evil of me in verse 39. Basically, if he does work in my name and it's working, then he's not going to be able to say anything bad about me. Second, because he's on our side. Look at verse 40 again. For he who is not against us is on our side. Jesus, aware of this particular situation, aware of who this person was, he says, if he's not against us, he's for us. Now, if you're thinking on your feet, you might be thinking about Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 30, or if you were noticing it in your bulletin. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, he, Jesus, in a different context, says, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So in this passage here, in verse 40, he says, he who is not against us is on our side. In, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, he says, he is, who is not with me is against me. How, some have reconciled these passages by saying, basically, that with, with Christ, there is no middle ground. You are either on Jesus' side or you are against him. And, and I think that's a very valid way of reconciling the, the passage. The other option, I think, is also true. That, that is, in Matthew chapter 12, in, the, in that passage, in this passage that's on the screen, Jesus is speaking of those who are definitely against him. Whereas in this passage, he is speaking of those who are on his side, who are doing work in Jesus' name. Actually, in Matthew chapter 12, he's referring to, I believe, he's referring to demons in the Matthew 12 text. Whereas here, Jesus is obviously aware that this man, whoever this person was, was not opposing Jesus at all. But either way, Jesus tells them, hey, look, he's on our side. We don't, we, don't need, we don't need to oppose him. Don't rebuke him. And because he's serving in Jesus' name, verse 41, for whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. The serving in Jesus' name is a, is a key theme in this passage. It's mentioned several times. If, if we're supposed to serve in Jesus' name, then what in the world does it mean to serve in Jesus' name? Well, if I'm serving in Jesus' name, whose name am I not serving in? Mine. Who's it, whose kingdom am I not trying to advance? Mine. If I'm, if I'm working for, for Jesus and serving Jesus and doing work in Jesus' name, then I'm, then I'm working to advance his kingdom. I, I'm working to do things that he would want for me to do, for, for his glory, not, not for my own. 
means serving to advance his, 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 own, his kingdom, not my own. So this, this, as we wrap all this up here, I mean, we, what, are we, what are we supposed to do with all this? You'll notice on your outline, you have a couple points of application, and then I'll be through. Number one, seek God's version of greatness, not mine, not, not man's. Not, you could put in that blank, not mine, not your own. Seek God's version of greatness. I think so often we measure our own success and failure based on, on what everybody else thinks of us, right? I've mentioned this before. Like, if, if everybody else thinks I'm okay, then I must be fine. But the reality is, as I've, I, maybe I've said it in here, I know I've told the teens this before, like, God doesn't really care what everybody else thinks of you. God isn't all that interested in what everybody else thinks of you. Why? Well, he knows the truth. It doesn't really matter what everybody else thinks. It matters that he, he knows what's actually going on in your heart. We ought to seek God's version of greatness. Not the fame, popularity, prestige, all that. What does God's version of greatness look like? You, you don't even know. You don't even see it. It's humble service. It's, it's, it's serving. Serving the lowly. Serving children. Serving where nobody else is going to see you. That is God's version of greatness. That, that is what, what true greatness looks like. So who are you serving? I mean, according to this passage, we ought to be serving the lowly. Be willing to serve the least of these, as Jesus said. What does our version of, of service look like today? I mean, how can, how can you serve in your own home? This doesn't have to be out here. Certainly it is. But, but how can you serve God even in, in your own home? How can you serve in this church? How are you serving this church? What's your ministry? Jesus says if you give so much as a, as a cup of water that you won't lose your reward. I mean, Mark, Mark almost never talks about rewards, but he does in this passage. He says, if you're willing to serve the least of these, the lowly, you won't lose your reward. A cup of cold water. You know where they give out a lot of cups of cold water? In Discovery Club. In the nursery. I, I, they do. They're always thirsty. There's opportunities. There's no shortage. Um, Jesus says, if you serve the least of these, you are serving my Father. Do you know what that means for, for you, Mom? That, that, that the kids that you're serving at home, that you're not just serving them. You know that? We, we, we think of that, oh, well, that's, I mean. You know what those kids, the, the, the kids, they don't, they, don't, they don't post stuff on Facebook about how great you are. They don't. Um, nobody knows. Nobody knows what you're doing. You, you might serve here and nobody knows what you're doing. 
And Jesus says, if you, if you do it to them, you're not, it's not them that you're serving. You are serving God. You are serving God the Father in, in the most menial of tasks, the everyday, the mundane, that, 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 that sometimes just feels like it never ends. And sometimes it feels like it, there's no thanks. There's no glory. Why am I even trying? Jesus says, you're not just serving me. You're serving the Father. That's God's work. Serve. In the passage that we looked at this morning, Mark chapter 10, he says that yet it shall not be, be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even Jesus, even the Son of Man, Jesus, his favorite way of referring to himself, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We are following the example of Christ. Serve the lowly. Serve to serve not to be seen. Man, this is so tempting. You ever like about to do something and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do a good thing here. I'm going to serve. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up a piece of trash or, or something. And you're, and you're like, anybody, anybody going to see this? No, man. Nobody's going to even know I did this. Right? Man, are we doing it? How, why are we doing it? Then? I mean, if that's, our, if that's how we're thinking, then, then what are we doing it for? We're doing it for the wrong reason. If, if the only places that you are willing to serve are places where you are sure that somebody is going to see you, then you're serving for the wrong reason. Those are hard words. But, but that's, what, that's what we're seeing here. Lastly, God's kingdom is bigger than us. This is not an us for no more situation. And I'm not saying that this is the main point of the passage, but, but we've got to realize that there are people outside of these four walls who are doing God's work, who are carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. John, got, he fell into this trap of thinking like, hey, it's just us. We're, we're the only ones that got it right. And that's not it. Jesus says, if he's, he's doing my work. Now, what I'm not saying is that if any, anybody, any, any, anyone that says, oh, I'm a Christian, that you just say, okay, yeah, absolutely, you, you must be a Christian. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm talking about the people that are carrying the gospel, that are preaching the word of God. We ought, we ought not think of them as outsiders. We do need to realize that, that we're, we're not the only ones. The world is a big place, and we're not the only ones that are doing God's work. So I don't know what the need of your heart is this morning, I hope that it is your desire to be the best for God's glory. To, to be the greatest. To be the greatest servant. Um, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song that many of you are familiar with, Servant's Heart. Lord, make me a servant. Give me, Lord, a servant's heart. Here's my life. Take every part. Give me a servant's heart. Help me draw so close to you that your love comes shining through, that your love would come pouring out of my heart and my life in service to you. I, I hope that's truly the prayer of your heart this morning. I hope that, that's, you, that you desire to be great, but you desire to be God's version of great. And if that is your, des your heart's desire, then say, Lord, ask the Lord. 
Lord, what, what, what can I do? Where can I serve? Where can I plug in? And he will show you. There's no shortage. There's always work to do. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for, for your word, Lord, that so often it, it goes exactly countercultural with what, what we think and, and the way that our world thinks. Father, of, of, and this discussion of greatness is certainly no exception. Lord, we, we thank you for the way that you direct us through your word. I pray that, that you would help each of us, that we would be willing to serve you um, in ways that, that are not seen. Father, that we would recognize, Lord, maybe, maybe encourage even, encourage hearts this morning that, that have, have been discouraged. Um, encourage that, that there, uh, these, uh, if you give a cup of water in my name, that, that, you, that you're serving the Father. God, I pray that you would work in each heart this morning. I just want to give you a moment with your heads bowed and eyes closed. I, I, I just feel like this is the kind of message that all of us need to respond to. I'm going to ask Bridget to play through maybe just one stanza of the song that we're going to sing here, but just deal with the Lord.